Hi everyone and welcome to the Power Podcast. I am James Prescott, your host. Welcome to the show and today my guest is Mary DeMuth, um, who is an author and speaker and does a whole load of other things as well. She's written loads of books uh, and they're all great and she also has a podcast. Um, I've wanted her as my as a guest on the show for quite a long time, probably since I started the podcast. So this is really exciting for me. Um, and mm. we're going to be talking about Mary's new book and a lot of other different things. So welcome to the podcast, Mary. It's such a privilege, and I think it's so fun that we can talk over the pond for sure. It's really cool. Yeah, yeah. Mary's in Texas and I'm in London. So that's the... Uh, <laughs> Two different places. <laughs> yeah. Um, Although it's really hot in London today, really hot. <laughs> Had to have a fan on in my bedroom today because it's so hot. And we don't have air conditioning over here. Um, so when it gets hot, it's really bad. <laughs> um, but um, that's climate change for you. But um, yeah, so Mary, tell us a bit about like who you are and your story. Sure. So um, I have been a writer, a published writer since 2005, um, and I, as you said, I'm a speaker as well. And um, but I grew up, as far as my background story, I grew up in a home that I didn't want to duplicate later on. And there was a lot of divorces, the death of a parent, um, neglect, there was sexual abuse that occurred during that time when I was five years old. I had um, two neighborhood teenagers come in and take me away from my babysitter and sexually abuse me for a year. And so that, mm-hmm. of course, had an, a great impact on my life. And um, in fact, today on Instagram, I got a comment from someone that was kind of mean and vile, which is awesome. But her, her comment was, well, you talk about Jesus, but where was he when this happened to you? And I think that's a really common question and I, I wrote back I have asked that question I don't have a full answer to it but I am grateful for the healing that I've gone through from that point I mm. became a Christ follower at 15 through a ministry called Young Life and that's when I learned about Jesus for the very first time and from that point on I've been on a healing journey for sure and it's been long and it's been amazing and it's been hard and there have been lots of tears but mm. at the end of the day, I can say that God is still on the throne, of course, and he is good. And so that's been kind of part of my, the, the impetus to write the next book that's coming out is, is definitely that story of, of sexual abuse. Yeah, yeah, we're going to talk about that a bit. Um, the book is called We, we Too. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, when this podcast is released, will be, it is when it will be coming out. So um, you can get that on wherever you get books um but um yeah tell us a bit about the story of the story behind this book in in a bit more detail sure exactly um i i can't presume to know what the church is doing all over the world although the evidence that i have seen has not been very good either but i can speak from an american church context in that um, a lot of people who have been sexually abused in a church have not been handled well. They have not been listened to. More often than not, the church leaders will um, prefer the story of the perpetrator over the victim. They won't send them to the police, which is what they're supposed to do, at least by law here in the U.S. And um, there's been more interest in protecting the reputation of the church, which 
echoes what's happened with the Catholic Church sexual abuse crisis as well. Um, at least initially from a couple decades, you know, it's more interested in reputation management than it is caring for the least, the last, and the lost, and those who have been hurt under their care. And so I kind of feel like this is, we need to stop. Like, this is not the way we're supposed to treat people who are hurting. And that was really the impetus for me to write We Too. The, the subtitle is How the Church Can Respond Redemptively to the Sexual Abuse Crisis. And I wrote it because it's not that I hate the, hate the church. I actually really love the church. And I believe, I love her enough to believe she can do better. And so that was the reason why I wrote the book. And not just for like, oh, if you were abused in a church context. I'm talking also for just, in general, people who have had that story for me, for instance, I mean, I can count on a half of a hand how many times I've heard an abuse story from the pulpit of, you know, just even normalizing it or, or helping mm. me to know I'm not crazy or that I don't have, like, the most unique story in the world. And so um, I think the church can do better in both ways. Yeah, that's definitely true. I mean, I've got a lot of female friends who've been, who've been abused um, in the church. Some of them have left, not just left the church, but left the faith completely. Yeah, very common. And when I hear their stories, I don't actually blame them. <laughs> um, some of them have found a different expression of faith, a different kind of community. Um, the, the responses to it have been are different from different people, but the common thread is that it is that it happens, you know, and that it shouldn't happen. Um, and it's really great that people like you are speaking out about things like this my my heart is to see and, and I just kind of have a rumbling of God is wanting to do something with his church and bring revival in new ways and that always comes on the heels of kind of a reckoning and a holiness and a um, cleaning house of the church and I believe he's doing that through more people you know, for the Me Too movement, especially rising up and saying no more on my watch and kind of almost demanding that that voices be heard. And it, it's not, um, I think there's some really good things that have come out of that. There's some error as well. And so, of course, in any movement, there's good and bad and ugly. But, um, but I'm actually grateful for that aspect of giving people permission to say this is wrong and this happened to me. And especially for the, the most grievous part of it to me is when sexual abuse happens within a church through a pastor, youth pastor, children's worker, and the church just passes them along to some other church without any sort of warning. That's a very low view of the worldwide body of Christ because then you're only thinking that your empire is the only one that counts. And so if you pass it off, then you're safe, but then you've just injured the rest of the body of Christ by doing that and so I feel like that's super mm -hmm. wrong and uh, we need to we need to be diligent to, um, to to deal with that and to really warn people about wolves yeah and I know I know stories of, of people who where that's happened um, yeah, where abuse has happened or um, and yeah they've been they've left um, but they've just gone somewhere else who welcome them and sometimes knowing what happened um, yeah. which is even worse you know I, I, I still can't get my head around that where where people who say they follow um, a guy who is about compassion and inclusion and 
love and peace and non-violence and equality is then then perpetrating such horrible horrible acts and then actually condoning them and kind of um, believing the abuser rather than the victim you know it's um, it doesn't make much sense you know to me and probably to anyone <laughs> well and I think we're, we as a church have been naive about the nature of predators we've we got this idea in our head that they look a certain way or act a certain way mm. and actually they're, they're the person next door they're the person you least expect and if they are pedophiles um, then we really have to be cautious about believing any sort of words that come out of their mouth because typically if a pedophile is not intervened with before I believe the age is 18 it's almost impossible for them to not be re- you know to be reformed and so um, we have to be especially careful of, of people like that because they're very good about persuading and they know the Christian lingo to be able to be like oh the grace of God is so good and forgiven me and yeah that may be true but if they have been praying on children most likely they will pray again and again and again and most pedophiles have hundreds hundreds of victims hundreds and so we have to be super careful about that doesn't mean that they can't be redeemed but as believers and as people who protect children we need to be utterly and completely wise and cautious about people that spin stories yeah Absolutely true. Yeah, and they can they can be right under our noses, and we can not often and we can not see them. You know, it's it's very very disturbing actually. That when you think about the numbers of people that there that there likely are who perpetrate this kind of thing, and the number of churches, then the odds kind of like that you're in contact with somebody who might, or you're part of a community with somebody who might be one of these people becomes higher and that's quite that's quite terrifying you know yeah i mean even in the u.s we have like the sexual offenders database and you can find out and look up who's yeah, in your does, neighborhood yeah, yeah. and that's frightening too it's like oh my gosh there's like 20 in my neighborhood wow that's mm. so scary yeah we have we have the same here it's um mm-hmm. yeah it is quite it is quite terrifying and i work for the police and child protection and yeah um there's a lot of there's a lot of people who are accused of a lot of things and never get convicted mm-hmm. and so of course unless you know about all these reports that never got followed through then you wouldn't know because they haven't been convicted um, right. and that in many ways they're almost more dangerous because there's no warning ahead of time you know there's no way to find out who they are um, and yeah I think this is happening in the church as well it's just yeah it's, it's yeah, sad. Um, oh, so what's your kind of obviously without going into too much detail, without triggering being kind kind of triggering to other people, and I will put a trigger warning on this episode as well. Um, <laughs> Thanks. Um, but um, what's your kind of experience of this? Like, how did this? Where did where did this where does this connect for you? Yeah, so as I said, my story didn't involve a church, although those boys that um, that did that to me were were Mormons, so there was it was a church and uh, and what is what's hard for me and on my healing journey 
that part of course was hard to get over that and then also we thankfully moved away at the end of that school year when I was five and so I was away from those perpetrators but I felt like I had a sign on my head that all perpetrators could see because I spent the rest of my life running away from people who tried to harm me that way and thankfully didn't have that story again but I was constantly vigilant and and kind of wondered what is wrong with me that they keep finding me and I've talked to a lot of other survivors who have said the exact same thing. But one of the hardest things for me to heal from, and I'm still kind of tender about it, is the, the adults in my life who could have done something and chose not to. It's, or people who um, I disclosed to and they wouldn't believe me. So those mm-hmm. two things are, are kind of known as like secondary trauma. It's when you finally decide, okay, this story is too heavy for me. I cannot bear it anymore. I need to talk about it. You finally share it, and the person asks you insensitive, cliche, Christian, you know, ways of, mm, yeah. well, God, work out everything for the good, and, you know, look at where you are now, and, oh, are you sure it happened, and really was it sexual abuse, and what were you wearing? And so the what were you wearing, I say back, I was wearing a corduroy jumper. <laughs> I was five. I had saddle shoes on. It's not like I was being enticing or anything. Um, so those insensitive comments and people just flat out not believing you is super painful. But then also looking back on my life and saying, wow, there were people in my life. I told somebody and they did nothing about it. They chose me to do zero. And then um, the other people in my life should have seen evidence of what was going on and just did not care. And so that is really hard. A lot of times I'm finding victims of sexual assault, they are more angry at the person that didn't protect than the actual perpetrator. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, I completely understand that. I, I, have a, I have a niece and a nephew who are very, very, very young, um, younger than, than you were when um, your abuse happened. And I know that if... If someone, if something happened to them and somebody knew and didn't say anything to me or to their parents, I, I would be just as angry as them, uh, at them, as the person who'd actually done what, you know, whatever. So yeah, I understand that. That's crikey. Yeah, I mean, if you know about it, you have to say something. I mean, it, just, it should go without saying, to be honest. <laughs> um, it but, should. <laughs> yeah, it should. <laughs> um, it's really sad that it doesn't. Um, yeah. And yeah, I think, I think things are changing a little bit. Just this last week in the U.S., there was this very interesting case that happened immediately. So there were two kids that went to a Lifeway camp, and Lifeway is a Southern Baptist publishing company, but apparently they have camps. And two kids were sexually abused at camp, and they went immediately to somebody, and that person was immediately... Uh, arrested and um, so there was I think there's more of an awareness now at least for kids and parents training their kids kids are like oh wait someone's not supposed to touch me there and I'm going to go tell someone whereas Mm -hmm. when we grew up we may not have ever heard that we may not have ever heard no you know someone's never supposed to touch you there and then we tend to believe the the words of the person perpetrating against us will kill your parents you know don't ever Mm -hmm. talk about this it's shameful you know all those things you believe their cries, but if the parent can be the first one to say, no one should ever touch you where your swimsuit touches you. I'll, there's no such thing as a secret unless you're going to throw me a surprise party. Those kinds of things. And so I do think in terms of training our children, we're doing a little bit better and the tide is turning. Yeah, I think that's true. I think there's a lot more education out there now as well. 
um, and there's a lot more um, for parents as well a lot more resources for parents I think it's it's definitely improving I think that's that, that's that's good but obviously we could always you should always be <laughs> trying yeah, to do better <laughs> all the time yeah. you know it's it's like a yeah it's an ongoing kind of process like, so what I mean what does kind of what does spiritual community look like for you now in terms of and how is your story kind of impacted how you do spiritual community well I love I love that question because um, spiritual community is how I healed and I know that that's not the case for everybody so I definitely hear those who were hurt in church and they ran away the other way and like, like you said I understand that if you've been um, you know hurt by something then the last healer just go right back in for me, I was rescued from Jesus, and I had no knowledge of the church, and so then the people in the church became that um, place of healing, and during college, university, I just shared my story so much. I probably shared it way too much, probably overshared it, um, but I shared it, and people prayed for me, and in that circle of prayer is when a very large portion of my healing happened. Um, so that informs me way back when, and now I would say um, it just has produced in me a very strong and deep empathy for anyone who's wounded. And so we go to a, a, a tiny little church, haha, we have like 15,000 people in our church because it's in Texas and everything's big in Texas, but we become small through what we call life groups. So we have a church within a church model, and my husband and I we uh, lead a life group of, of about 50 folks and they're people that um, of all ages and uh, of all different stories and we just love each other and so I think that's kind of to answer your question in the present tense we're um, you know we're walking alongside the broken we don't always have all the answers we're try we try to be authentic and own up to our our mistakes and our sins and uh, we try to lead well we try to walk alongside um, certainly no community is perfect but um, mm. we have found a good space there so that's kind of where we're at right now that's really encouraging to hear because it so often we hear all these negative stories and it's easy to get like down on the church or you know even just the way of Jesus completely you know mm-hmm. and then um, sorry, I think my microphone just fell over. So if you heard a little bang, that's what it was. Um, basically, yeah, it's easy to get down on spiritual community and church and things. But So to hear a positive story like that of positive, healthy community where people are growing, people are being vulnerable, people are having spiritual experiences and spiritual growth... Um, after what's happened is a really positive thing um, I, hope, that's, I think that'll be encouraging for a lot of people yeah I appreciate that the thing that I've learned over the years um, is that the way back from bad community and wounding is good community and what the problem is that happens is if we're if we're wounded in negative community and of course sexual abuse would certainly be negative community um what we tend to do is we tend to build a wall against everyone because no one becomes trustworthy anymore and and we think well if i build this wall then i will be safe and i will not be hurt anymore and that may be true 
it's really great to build a wall because then we don't let anyone in. But weirdly and frustratingly, the Lord says that the way through is community. And so what I've had to learn to do is is allow that wall to come down brick by brick, stone by stone, and slowly begin to trust people again. And so what wounds is what heals. When you're wounded in negative community, what heals is good community. I have a quick little story that kind of illustrates it. My husband and I were church planters along with our kids in France, in southern France, and um, oh. in the mid-2000s, mid so I have a real heart for Europe. And um, it was a difficult time, and, and it wasn't because of France. It was because we had a difficult team, and church planting team. And at the end of it, when we were flying back to Texas, at the end of that whole thing, I kind of made a vow, and I was like, I'll never trust Christian leaders again. I don't like Christians, and I don't want to be friends with anybody. And so I kind of made this, I didn't say it out loud, but I kind of had this internal vow. We've been so damaged, and I think it's hard when it's Christian leaders who damage you. Um, But we flew into Dallas-Fort Worth Airport, and we were renting or borrowing a car. We We had no keys. We had nowhere to live. We were going to live in this, in a corner of a barn right around Christmas time. And my name is Mary, so it's kind of symbolic. <laughs> but uh, we get there, and um, we're expecting no Christmas that year. We're there a week out from Christmas, and um, our friends are in the little apartment, tiny, and they have put up a Christmas tree, and they've put presents under the tree. They've baked cookies. they put linens on the bed. They, they um, put food in our pantry. And it was like at that moment the Lord was saying to me, are you going to step in? Are you going to allow this good community to love you back to health? And initially, I I didn't want to because I was so broken and so hurt. But eventually, as those folks who were good people, who loved Jesus and who loved us, they loved us back to life. And so, yes, we were harmed in that negative community, but our way back was taking baby steps towards healthy, safe people. That's part of the problem um, with sexual abuse, being a sexual abuse survivor, is my um, picker is off. Like, I can't pick good people because I've been so hurt. And so I've had to be very tentative and let God give me the discernment I need to pick healthy people. Because there could be more damage if we just jump right into unhealthy community again because that's our space and our normal space. So I, I, write, I say that with a caveat, that we need to be cautious about who we walk towards um, in the future, but that that is the way through, and if we can find some safe people, it'll be really helpful. Yeah, I, yeah, absolutely agree. I think when you've when you've been burned, when you've been hurt by people, um, especially in that kind of context, it's very difficult to trust people again. And it is important to have healthy boundaries with relationships and who you trust and who you let in. Mm-hmm. And, when you let them in and how far you let them in and I think that's I think that's an important rule for life generally actually (laughs) Um, um, and certainly I I I was hurt very much by the evangelical church Um, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't call it wasn't sexual abuse at all it was um, I don't know what I would call it really but it was but I have I remember have the first time after I left and somebody talking about it and I had a physical reaction yeah instinctive physical reaction to it 
um, my body kind of curled up and defensive and like, tense and stuff. And I, I was like, "What's going on?" You know, like, <laughs> and I realised that this had all been bound up in me, and it had there'd been a physical. There was actually a physical reaction to it. Um, so, yeah, it does affect you, and you've got to you've got to learn to um, who to let in and who not to let in, and. Um, and yeah, the, the kind of the psychological damage in terms of being part of a spiritual community can, can can last. So you need to find other ways of having a healthy spiritual community. There's not just the one that you've been part of, you know. And I found another spiritual community after that, which is much healthier. Um, mm. So yeah, I think you're right, absolutely. Well, I think we need to remember the effects of trauma because what you described is trauma. And uh, Dr. Diane Langberg, who deals a lot with um, victims of all sorts of trauma, she said this. She said, trauma is the mission field of our time. And I truly Mm. believe that. Um, If you really want to reach people for Christ, learn about trauma and bear some burdens. And what you experience physically is, is something very common for people that have had PTSDs. Their body will remember even though in their mind they're thinking, okay, I'm fine, I'm safe right now, but your body just kind of takes over. There's a book called The Body Keeps the Score. Yeah, I love that book. Uh, yeah. Bessel, Be- Bessel Cock, or something like that. I can't remember the last name. But, um, but yeah, that's just one of those things that I think we just need to educate each other about that and just say just because you've had a physical reaction to something doesn't mean that it's going to plunge you back into despair or... You know, like it means you haven't healed enough. It's just, it's just the nature of your physiology, and we have to be really careful about assigning blame to ourselves when, mm-hmm. when we have some sort of reaction we can't even control. Like I'm always easily startled. You could say boo to me right now, even if I'm seeing you, and I would be startled. It's just, it. I cannot control it. It is just one of those things, and that's one of the gifts the trauma has given me. I'm the same, actually. Very similar. If people say boo to me, I get I literally react the same way. It's um, yeah. Or if people just keep if people just appear out of the blue and I don't see them coming, and I turn around and I go ah, like you know like and um, yeah, it's like a they're like you're right. It's like yeah yeah yeah. It's just but I didn't realise that was a trauma thing until you just talked about it in that way. I was like ah right yeah because I've been hurt that way so my body gets yeah makes sense it just reacts without your without your permission <laughs> yeah exactly yeah um so writing this book in what sense was it uh because i know from writing books and and creating things that writing can be a and creating can be a very therapeutic process but also quite painful because you have to walk through the pain again um so in what sense was like writing this book a kind of how did it impact you like in terms of healing and transformation and your personal journey well I actually wrote um, I wrote it really fast because I knew it was going to take a toll on my body and I was actually in Switzerland when I wrote most of it which was fun so um, I teach a writer's intensive every October at a YWAM base near Geneva and so I was there for part of it and it was just an idyllic place to, to write it um, yeah, it, it was heavy on me. I have a prayer team, and they pray me through every single book, and so I had to, like, throw a lot more prayer requests their, their way because 
just the heaviness of it and the exposingness of it. So not, I'm not afraid to tell my story. I've told it so many different times. That's not the hard part. It's the exposing of the insidiousness of the enemy of our souls and what he's trying to do through his very um, strategic tool of sexual abuse and sexual exploitation and pornography and all the hidden things and sex trafficking and all of that. Like, it is dark, it is thick, and it is evil. And so to write about it, you can imagine that the, the darts were flying. And I'm still experiencing that, even though it was written you know, about nine months ago, um, I'm being ready, you know, as you said, to release it, and I'm, I'm worried again, so I'm going to have to send another email to my email list and say, please pray for me. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm fully aware of that experience. I know that when you go back to a place, then, yeah, you have, you get, mem- you get triggers, you get, you get memories, and emotions come up. And yeah, you need to take care of yourself when you're doing that. But um, in, my, in my experience, when you create something and you tell your story, once it's done, there's a sense of release. And yeah. it's no longer part of you. And you can say, well, this is now, I've written this, this is there. If you want to know about this part of me, it's here. Like, I don't have to carry it around with me anymore. Is that, is that, your, is that your experience? Yes, it must be that I'm really messed up because I've written like 40 books so so many times. But I think the heaviness for me this time was a little different because I have told my story before. The heaviness, and and I don't mean to like compare myself to the Apostle Paul because he's like a million times better than me, but I understand when he talked about what it was like to carry the burden of all the churches on his shoulders. That's how it felt to me. I felt the weight of everybody's story, not mine anymore, just everybody else's and all the pain and all the, all that's gone wrong and all the cover-up and that part was, I still feel like I'm carrying that, um, partially just because I love the church and I want to bear, you know, I want to, I want to help birth something new there. And so I'm willing to bear the darkness in order to see something birthed new um so it's been a different experience this time around but you're right when i first started writing about this story it was terrifying to do but once i did it quite liberating and i really encourage like if you have never told your story to someone begin by writing it down on paper mm-hmm. um whether you're going to type it or handwrite it or whatever whatever medium or say it into a, into your phone or whatever but get it out of you you have to and then that will be a first enabling step for you to begin to share it with someone who is caring and kind and compassionate, a good listener, a safe person, and you will not believe the kind of freedom that you will find when you let that go. Absolutely agree. That is my experience as well. It is really an amazing experience when you when you write something out, you, you put it out, you get it out, you talk about it even, and then it's gone. You know, mm-hmm. like you, you can physically notice, and this is, this mm-hmm. is I've had this experience where you physically notice the place where this thing was is now mm-hmm. empty. Like mm-hmm. uh, I remember this. I uh, after I didn't after I after I shared my story somewhere and uh, I went to the place in my brain where this where this anger or this trauma was, and it wasn't there. Mm. It was a really surreal experience, but it was really <laughs> amazing. Um, and there is certainly a physical element to it so um and when you when you get when you get this stuff out something changes 
Yeah, I definitely agree. And there's, you know, there's other ways that we can get through it too. Like, um, I would never just say, well, the church is the only hope for you <laughs> uh, to get healed. There's lots of different ways to go through the avenue of healing. Church has been one really great one for me, but another is um, EMDR, which is a therapy that um, deals with the wiring of the brain, and a lot of Christian counselors do it as well. I'm going through it right now, and, and that also will help kind of reframe a memory for you. So you may have had a traumatic memory, and you assign worth to it and assign bigness to it, and when you go through the therapy, you're able to, um, you're able to kind of reassign it in a different way so it no longer affects you that way and a good trauma therapist will know all about that and cognitive behavioral therapy there's all sorts of different things that therapists are using now for people um, having trauma and you know with the crises around the world of refugees leaving and I mean there's all sorts of trauma everywhere so this is something super important whether it involves sexual abuse or not we need to be better at understanding the nature of trauma and loving people through it absolutely agree Absolutely, 100%. You know, and do get support if you need it. Absolutely. You know, mm-hmm. therapy, all those things you mentioned, and therapy, professional help, um, all of those things can be really, 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 really helpful and really important. And we shouldn't be afraid to, to go to those people if we, if we need it, um, because um, yep. they really can be really life changing. Um, so, just to kind of sum up, what What's kind of the heart of this book and what would be the biggest thing you want people to take away from this book? My heart behind this book is that anyone who considers himself a Christian leader um, would be equipped to be an empathetic healer for those who have suffered so much. And the book's divided into to three different parts. So the first part is the past. So I go through the Bible and the rape narratives of the Bible. I go through church history and how we've been responding to sexual abuse. And hint, hint, it hasn't been so great. <laughs> and, then, um, and then the second part of the book is, okay, here's where we find ourselves. This is the present tense. This is the situation. And then the third part of the book is a prophetic imagination for how the church can be different and can be a light in a very dark place. And that's really where the heart of the book is, is helping people to understand what are good practices, how do you protect your church, how do you protect your family, how do you love those who have been harmed, what are the, you know, if someone discloses to you, what should you do? If they're under 18 or 21, you need to disclose it to the authorities. Just all those kind of like basic things that we need to know as a church to be that lighthouse in that city on a hill. And again, this is like a love letter from me to the church. It's not condemnation. It's not wrath. It is full of love. But because I love the church, just like I love my husband, I will also say things to him because I want what is best for him. And I I don't want him to have blind spots. So it's the same with the church. I love the church. I don't want her to have blind spots. I want her to do better in these areas. So in the most loving and compassionate way, I thought of was writing this book awesome and I can't wait to read it and I think it's a really much needed and important book on a really important topic Um, and I think it's the kind of book we all need so uh, and it's called We Too and it's available wherever you get books Um, and by the time this is released it will be out so um, go and go and get that book and check it out, uh, and check out Mary's other books as well. She's 
as you heard earlier, she's written a lot of books. Um, <laughs> I've read some of them. They're very good, um, and I would recommend all of her all of her work. Uh, she's got so much wisdom. So, thank you for coming on, Mary. It's been so good to have you on the show. I so appreciate it, and I will be in Europe again um, at that intensive in. October, November, and so there's a chance that I could make a stop in the UK on my way home. So if there's a church that would like to have a seminar or have me come speak, um, they can just contact you and you can contact me and uh, we can get that, or contact me on we2.org. There's a contact form there. So um, would love to have uh, the chance to just speak to folks there because I have a real heart for the UK yeah. and what's going on there. That'd be awesome. And how, how can people connect with you online? Uh, the book's website is we2.org, and uh, there's a um, free email sequence for people, we2.org, 24 slash 21 days, and they can get 21 letters from me about my own healing journey and how they can um, walk through their healing journey. And then um, just my basic web page is marydenise.com. Awesome. So go and check all that out, and... Uh enjoy and um, I'm sure you'll learn a lot because Mary's got so much wisdom to share so thanks to Mary for coming on the show and um, I hope everyone um, this has been really great for you and uh, take care and we'll talk soon